I know that many of you were expecting Kent Millard to be here today. Unfortunately, uh, Kent called me a few weeks ago. Uh, this you can hear that okay. And uh, he's a board member at Heartland College. And Heartland College is a great college. Uh, they uphold the teachings of the Adventist Church beautifully. And he serves a good work there, so he needed to be there. So uh, obviously I'm filling in for you today. So if you're expecting to see Kent, I'm sorry. <laughs> but after... Um, that beautiful, uh, I love that song, don't you? Amen. And uh, it makes me emotional. I don't know about you. I hope I don't get emotional today because now I'm all set up on emotions. And uh, and that that those words, those lyrics are beautiful. So I will say happy Pasha to you. Uh, Passover time, the time we're going to talk about a little bit. As you know, uh, this isn't actual the time of the Passover as we know. But it's a time in which we in America do kind of focus on it, so... I hope to give it a little bit of justice here today, okay? So before we uh, begin, shall we just, uh, Neil, have a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, to be in your house of worship, that we still have the freedom to come and preach the truth as it is in your word and in the spirit of prophecy, Lord, and we just thank you for your love and your mercy. Please forgive me if there be any sins, Lord, to be anything in my life that would Keep your Holy Spirit, or any of us for that matter, Lord, that we keep your presence from being here, Lord. We ask that your Spirit be here in a mighty way. And uh, please, all we seek, Lord, is to do your will and to reflect your character. Please write your beautiful law, your law of love in our hearts and minds. I know that that is what you wish for us, Lord, and that's what we wish too. Help us to cooperate with you in all things, Lord, that you may accomplish that great work in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, astronomers, uh, from way back as we know, have been observing the sky, and, and they look at the stars, and they come out and they look at their little telescopes, and they see the little white dots out there, and many times they try to count them. And uh, it's interesting, there was plenty of times in history where they actually thought that they could count the stars, and they thought they had their number down, and they would give a number and say, there's this many stars, it's taken this many years, but this is how many stars there are. And then as time progresses, there's a, they develop another microscope, it's a little bigger. And as they look through the microscope, of course, what do they see? More stars. And, uh, and their minds are blown away, and they start counting again, but it becomes more difficult because there are just so many stars out there. And then as time progresses farther, they develop bigger telescopes. We know one of the biggest telescopes that was developed was called the Hubble Telescope. And of course, that's a telescope that they've actually uh, had in space. I don't know if it's still there anymore, honestly. Uh, but from that, being in a very dark location and so much closer, uh, if you will, to the cosmos, they were really able to get even a greater look. And what they realized that a lot of these little white dots that they thought were stars turns out to be galaxies, you know? And these galaxies, each galaxy has trillions and trillions of stars and planets. And they realize, okay, uh, this is beyond, you know, we can't count this. And it's been said, and I'm sure you've heard it before, that the number of stars and planets that are in our cosmos would exceed the numbers of grains of sand on all the seashores of this planet. And that's just amazing. What a mighty God we have, right? Mighty God. And I want you to imagine for a moment, 
If I was to go to a beach with a big magnifying glass and I get down on my hands and knees with a little, um, what am I thinking of? Magnifying glass. No, no, the little thing you pick up stuff with. Tweezers, that's what I was thinking of. And I get down and I, my little tweezer and I pick up one grain of sand and I throw it away. Would it be missed? Would anybody walk out on that beach and go, man, there's something missing here. You know, I know something's missing, but I'm not sure what. Nobody, nobody would notice it, right? That little grain of sand would be insignificant. Well, you think about that. This little planet is one of those grains of sand in the cosmos. And many of you might have seen the image. If you have it, you should. You can go on Google Image Search, and you can type in the Earth, a little blue dot. And it gives you a little image of our Earth and, and our galaxy and you just see the vastness of our galaxy, and you see this little dinky, tiny dot, and you can just make out it's blue, and you realize that's our planet. And you realize just how insignificant we are. Now, what makes this so interesting to me, not only does the cosmos show the vastness and the greatness of God, but it shows his love. Because when this little planet rebelled against God, God could have easily just blotted this one little grain of sand away. He could have. And it would have even been missed. But it just goes to show you how great God's love is for us that he didn't. Think about that. And when you think about that, you just realize how, how great God's love is for us and his planet. And then it goes on beyond that. And not only did God seek this, the, if you will, to uh, save this little planet, that in order to save this planet we rebuild it, he would have to become a man. And take on flesh and bleed and die because of the great law of love that can never be changed. And that's exactly what the Ten Commandments says. It's the great law of love. You know, don't steal from your brother. Don't lie to your brother. Don't take your brother's wife. And so on and so on. You know the law. So it's a great law of love. And God could never change one iota of it because you can't. You can't. You'd be eradicating love. And so God so loved us that he came to this little grain of sand this planet of ours, the creatures who he created because he loved us so much he became a man in order to bleed and die to save you and me. Isn't that beautiful? When you just think of it in the great picture, the great cosmos, it's mind-boggling that God would do that. And not only would he do that, that he would become a man and be subject to the most cruelest uh, temptations of all, all times. As you know, in the great controversy, Satan claimed that God's law was unkeepable, that nobody could keep it. We've had sermons on that. We've quoted it plenty of times. I'm not going to go into detail on that today. But yet, during that time, Satan tried everything he could to discourage Christ from going to the cross, right? To the, to the hill of the skull and to dying for us. He tried everything to discourage him and to turn him away. I mean, Christ was beaten severely. He, had, he was uh, whipped so bad that it, when they finally, of course, he couldn't even carry the cross to the hill, and somebody else had to carry it. But when he was on the cross, in the Bible reads that his bones stared at him. You just think about that. Satan tried everything he could to discourage Christ, to give his life to save you and me, and yet Christ was such a willing sacrifice that he went through all that, and to a point where they nailed you know, the nails in his feet and his hands. And when you just think about that, the very people that were nailing the nails in his feet and hands 
He came to die for. Isn't that amazing? What a great love God has for us. Just such a great love. And it's just mind-blowing. So if anybody would ever doubt of great of God's great love, all you have to do is think of Calvary and what he did for us. There is no doubt God loves us. So we should never fear, uh, fear God or ever think that God is not a loving God. And there are Bible examples uh, and lessons and stories in the Bible that kind of depict our condition, if you will, on this planet before Jesus came to this planet. And one of those stories, as I like to think about, is when God's children, and we are God's children, God's children were actually enslaved in Egypt for how long? 400 years, right? For 400 years, they were enslaved. And during that enslavement, I mean, there were generations who knew nothing about a life of slavery. Just think about what it would have been like to have been a slave back in Egypt. You would actually, you would never get to make any decisions yourself like you have today. You would work every day, seven days a week. Somebody would tell you when you're going to get up, when you're going to stop working, what you're going to eat, and what you're going to eat. It must have been a life of pure misery. These people had no, no choice, no decision. They were enslaved to their taskmaster. And then when it, almost, a, well, just at the end of the 400 years, God sends a man, a prophet, a speaker for him, right, Moses, and he comes to his, his people and said, God said that you would be enslaved for 400 years and now God has come to set you free. But before you are set free, God has commanded that you take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and you slaughter the lamb and you put, spread the blood upon the, over the door of your house and on the doorpost. And the reason why you need to do that because there's a death angel that's going to go by tonight and he's going to, only going to bypass the house that has the blood on the doorpost. And all that are within that house where the blood is spread will be saved. But those who don't have the blood, their firstborn will die. Now you can just kind of put yourself in, in the mindset of those people. You know, God is going to set us free, but we need to shed the blood of the Lamb, and which will set us free. And of course they did that. And you can almost imagine what it would have been like being in that house the day that you knew the death angel was going to pass. And that's where the word Passover comes from, passion. That is the Passover story. And what makes it so unique for not only them, but and for us, the blood sets us free too. But on the next day when, when the death angel passed and all was over, the people were set free no longer to be in slavery again and free to worship God. Amen? Amen. And that's our story too. Just like them, we were enslaved to sin. He was our taskmaster. Our sin that was in us told us how to act, told us how to talk, even made choices in foods that maybe we shouldn't be eating, and so on. But when Jesus died on the cross, then sin had no more dominion over us. God set us free. Amen? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? That's the Passover story. That's our story. That's God's love for us that he wants to send, set all of us free from sin. And it's interesting to me that when you think of all that God had did, has done for us, all he asked from us is one thing. You know that? Just one thing. 
And that is, he asks us to keep his commandments. That's it. He says, just do what I, I, I tell you to do. Now, I want to, of course, and you know that's true, but here, just think about that. Would God ever tell us to do something that was bad for us? No. Of course not, right? No. God is such a loving God. He's already demonstrated his love for us. He could have wiped this little grain of sand out of his cosmos. Nobody would have missed it. He didn't have to come and die on a cross, a very cruel death. But he did it because he loves you and me. And again, all he asks is for us to do what he says. So, this will make more sense why I bring that up in just a moment. As many of you know, I'm a registered nurse and I, I work in a hospital. And we have some other registered nurses here too. God bless you. I feel your pain. I know where you're at. And, uh, but one thing is unique about working on a hospital floor is that uh, we have a unique uh, uh, we have a unique experience that we see the progression of disease. And recently, just within the last couple weeks, to give you an example, there was a young man who came on my unit. He became my patient, and he was there because he fractured his neck. And how he fractured his neck is because he, he, had a, he had the habit of drinking four shots of liquor a day, and he was drinking beer as well. And while he was in this condition of drunkenness, he tried to do something stupid, which was do a backflip, and he ended up cracking his neck. Now, it wasn't horribly severe, uh, but he did have to wear a neck collar. And when I went into his room, I, I, you know, I wanted to, you know, I want to tell him, because I've seen the progression of alcohol. And I looked at this man, I says, you mind if I talk to you as if you're my brother? And he said, sure, go ahead. And I told him, you know, I get to see the progression of all diseases. And I said, normally we put you on a special scale because usually when alcoholics uh, become worse, they go through something called DTs, which delirium and tremors. They see things that aren't there and they shake really bad. And their body is just craving and craving for the alcohol that it's not getting. And the only thing that we can do to relieve them is to give them something called Ativan, which tricks the brain into thinking they're getting alcohol and their body relaxes. And he wasn't at that state. But I told him, I said, and that's kind of like as the disease progresses. And I've seen plenty of people like this, I told this young man. And I said, then it gets worse. Eventually your liver starts working. It becomes very cirrhosis. And your eyes turn yellow and your skin can turn yellow. And I said, and your liver becomes so bad as it's finally deteriorating and no longer working that all the fluids in your body that kind of goes through the liver, eventually through your kidneys, out your body, it can't get to your kidneys and your bladder anymore. It just leaks in your abdomen. Your abdomen fills up with fluid and it's, it's something that's called ascites. I says, when that happens, your liver is so shot that the only thing they can do, they take a needle, they put it in your abdomen and drain the fluid and unfortunately, it doesn't fix your liver, and eventually it fills up again. And I told this young man, this this is the progression of the disease that you're on. And I said, eventually it takes your life, eventually you go to hospice and you die. And I said, but you're lucky. I said, you're at the beginning of this road. I said, you can choose if you want right now, because you don't have DTs, you don't have delirium. Uh, delirium. I don't have to give you Ativan. So right now, you have a choice right now that you can totally turn turn around and never drink alcohol again and not be on this road. And he really appreciated me telling him that. 
And I know other people who work in the medical field see, see the same thing. I will tell you one other example. I can't tell you how many diabetics that come into the hospital because their sugar is out of whack. And again, I have the advantage of seeing the progression of the disease. And I tell these people, you know, your sugar is out of control. And that if you just take your insulin, watch what you eat, but measure yourself, wash yourself closely, you can live a normal life if you'll just do that. But many of them, now nah, I don't want to poke myself and check my sugar. I don't want to watch what I eat. I'm just going to do as I please. And I warn these people. I say, again, I'm not telling you to be mean or cruel. I tell you this because I honestly care about you. That if you don't control your sugar, eventually you get neuropathy in your feet where you can't feel anything. You cut your feet. You get a horrible infection. Your body's full of sugar. The microorganism in you just, you're like a walking beaker and the bug just takes over your body and you become terribly sick. And eventually, I've had patients who come in where we literally have to take their foot off because it becomes gangrene and they're crying. And then a couple of years later, when I tell them, you know, if you just watch your sugar, if you just watch what you eat, if you just check your blood sugar and monitor yourself closely, you'll be fine. But if you don't, this thing is going to get worse and worse. And wouldn't you know it, a couple of years later, we're okay taking the lower part of their leg off. And it's like, what don't you get? You know, what don't you get? I'm giving you an advantage here. You have it, you, there is something you can do. Now, in saying that, I believe that there are plenty of things in the Bible. And, you know, and, and here's another thing I want to say to you before I go on. I wonder when a person who has shot their liver and their abdomen is full of fluid, and recently I had a patient that had five liters in their abdomen. That's about this much fluid in their abdomen if it was full give you an idea. That's how much they took out of his abdomen. At this point I realize there's no hope for this guy. The guy's going to die. And I wonder if he thought to himself, if I only knew that I was going to end up here at the end of my road, would he have done something different? You know? Because then it's too late. Once it gets to that point, it's too late. There's nothing you can do. And it's the same with the diabetic. Once your leg becomes so necrotic and rotten, we got to take it off because if you don't, it's going to kill you. So we have to take it off. And you wonder when they no longer can walk anymore, they no longer have their leg, would they have done something different if they only knew? You know, there are plenty of spiritual lessons in the Bible that come very close to home for us too. And some of those stories is the story of Nadab and Abihu. You might be familiar with the story. If you don't, I'm going to tell you this story. What Nadab and Abihu is... Uh, they were the ones that took care of the earthly sanctuary at the time. And at that time, on the sacrifice and the altar, God's the one who lit that fire. Literally, God from, the, from heaven lit the fire, and it was it was it kept burning perpetually. And, no, and God said, you were to offer no strange fire upon the altar. None. And Nadab and Abihu, being the young uh, men that they were at the time, uh, they decided that they decided they would drink a little alcohol, a little wine, which they were forbid by God to do. But I'm sure they thought, you know what, hey, you know, just, what would have hurt if we just have a little bit of alcohol? You know, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. But that little thing led them to offer their own fire upon the sacrifice and on the altar. And when they did that, God instantly destroyed them. 
And that's my point. Some people, I think we too can fall in a habit when God has did all that he has done for us. All he asks is that we just do what he says. But sometimes I think we treat sin as a little thing sometimes. And just like Nadab and Abihu, I'm sure they didn't believe what they did with end and losing their life. But they did it and they did. There's no turning back. What's happened has happened. It's done. And there are plenty of other stories in the Bible. You know the story of, uh, of Adam and Eve and how Eve uh, was commanded by God. We're told this in Patriarch and Prophets. Um, that we are told that Eve was instructed by God not to... Patriarch and Prophets, page 56, if you want the reference. Was commanded by God not to leave Adam's side. So that's a small command, right? It's no big, you know, it's no big thing. But would Eve obey God and even the little things? And of course she chose not to. So she wandered away from Adam and to go over and look at the forbidden tree. Hey, I'm just looking, right? What harm is looking? I walk away from Adam's side. What's the big deal? It's just a little thing. But in doing so, I don't have to tell you what happened, right? She was deceived by Satan by just looking and look at the mess we're in. This whole planet all started from that. And of course, Adam is not innocent either. He partook of the forbidden fruit as well. But it all started what seemed to be like just a little thing, you know? What's the big deal? And I think a lot of times we focus on the big sins. Oh yeah, big sins, robbing a bank, you know, murder, things like that. But actually God is very particular. Sometimes the littlest sins, what seems so small, turn out to be the most deadly. And they're the most deadly because why? Because we think they don't hurt us. It's almost like, uh, it would almost be better than if you stole, that lightning came down and wiped you out because then nobody would steal, you know? But we, of course, we'd be doing it for the wrong reason. But because it doesn't happen to anybody right then and there, people think, hey, I did it, nothing happened. So what? I'll do it again. And there's other stories that tell the same story again and again. When you think of, um, when you think of Lot's wife is another example, right? Here, Lot and his wife were living in Sodom. God was going to destroy Sodom. And he asked them to leave Sodom, and they wouldn't do it to a point where God had to send angels down there and literally grab them by the hand and literally almost drag them out of the city. And God only asked one thing while he did it. Here God came down to save them, to keep them from destruction, just like he's done for us. And he only asked them one thing, don't look back. That's all I'm asking. Small, very tiny, don't look back. And I'm sure... Uh, and I'm sure I'm not far off by thinking as they were fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, you can almost hear the thoughts of Eve, you know? And they hear the destruction and the banging and the booming and all that's going on back there. Maybe wailing and screaming. And she thought, what would it hurt if I just looked back, you know? It's just a little thing. And she looks back. And what happens? She's destroyed, right? God turns her into a pillar of salt. And I wonder, I wonder if Eve knew that this would be the end, would she have looked back? I would hope she would not have. Just like the people who have the disease, if they would just listen to people who see the progression, if you just listen, you know, out of love, we're telling us to help you. And God is telling us in these, what seems like a little thing are not so little. They're big things. All God asks us to do is to just obey him. 
And we need to really focus on that because sometimes there is even things that we're told not to look at. Amen? Amen. And those looking at these things, pornography, wrong things on the television, wrong things at the movie theater, we think they don't affect us, but in reality, there's a law that God has put in place. By beholding, you become changed. Now, is anybody exempt from that law? There is nobody exempt from that law. By beholding, you will become changed. That's a fact. And it's, it's interesting, and when just by looking can, uh, actually, you could be destroyed. I want to read something. You're all familiar with it, but I think it's worth repeating. In Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 31, I'll read it to you. If you'd like to turn there, you can. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given into marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they did drink, they bought, they sold, they planted and built it. But in the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. So let that just be a reminder. When the Lord should come, if he should come back in our lifetime, and you go, oh, I got to go back in the house and get some of my stuff, or I got to go back and whatever. Don't do it, right? We need to learn the lessons that God has already taught us in the scriptures. Don't do it. And then, and then in verse 1732 of that very same text ends with this. Remember Lot's wife. So God means it. So here's a lesson here for us. Don't forget that. We should never forget that. And we can go on and we can talk about diet, the same thing. Sometimes some people might cheat and think, you know, it's a little wine, you know. Remember Nadab and Abihu. What would it hurt if I eat eh, a little salami sandwich or a little pork once in a while? Well, God is very clear on that. We are told this in Isaiah 66, verses 15 and 17. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire that they sanctify themselves and purify themselves. That's those who claim to be God's people hiding behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh, and the abomination in the mouth shall be consumed together, says the Lord. That's found in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 66, 15 and 17. Uh, so, again, there's a warning for us. Don't fall into the habit of thinking there's little sins that don't hurt. Because little sins really do hurt us. And again, when you just think about in retrospect of everything that God has done for us, all the great love He has shown for us, how, I mean, how would we ever, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be. I want to be with God someday, don't you? Amen. I mean, there, and again, I like what uh, Leslie said because it's true. A lot of times during this time, we focus on the crucifixion. But really, the greatest message is the resurrection. Amen. Because we know that we live in a world of death. But because of Jesus Christ, 
we have life. And that is a blessed hope, and that's a great message. Amen. And so I guess in this Pascha time, this Passover time, let us remember that Christ is our Passover. It is his blood that has set us free. He only asks us to just obey him because he loves us. Amen. There is nothing that he's going to ask of us uh, that it isn't for our only good. And we, if we truly love him, we would obey him in all things even in the little things. And I hope that if this is your desire and my desire, I hope that we will keep these thoughts daily and that we can't depend on our own strength, by the way. I'm not saying that. But I like what Jeff Worth said uh, just a couple weeks ago, that if you're struggling with sin, get close to the one who can give you freedom of sin, and that's Jesus Christ, right? Amen. Amen. And if you get close to Christ, victory is possible in any sin that you have. And that's, and that's our blessed hope. So I just want to thank you for this message. Uh, I also would like to say that part of being a Christian is accepting not only Jesus, but the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do that through a, a beautiful ceremony called baptism. And if you would like to give your life to Christ, if you have not been baptized, any one of you, and you want to make a commitment to Christ, come talk to me at some point. Maybe we can uh, get something together that you can make a full commitment, an outward commitment, and give your life to Christ. I promise you, you will not regret it. Uh, in Christ is life. Amen. The rest in this life are details. If you have Christ, you're happy all the time. I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth in that. And a life without Christ is a hopeless, miserable life. The Bible is 100% accurate and true. It can be proven over and over and over again with the literally hundreds of prophecies that come through. There's no doubt our God lives. And when Jesus gives you victory in your life and you experience that victory in your own self, you know God is very much alive. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. Amen.